Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our is the beginning of our NBA positional ranking series, and today we're going to talk about our top 10 Western Conference point guards. So, Jalen, let's get right into it. Who are your top 10 Western Conference point guards? All right, so starting at number one, I have Stephen Curry of the Golden State Warriors. At number two, Damian Lillard of the Portland Trailblazers. At number three, Luka Doncic of the Dallas Mavericks. Number four, Jamal Murray of the Denver Nuggets. Number five, Chris Paul of the now Phoenix Suns. Number six, Russell Westbrook of the Houston Rockets. Number seven, John Morant of the Memphis Grizzlies. Number eight, Mike Conley of the Utah Jazz. Number nine, Shea Gilgis-Alexander of the Oklahoma City Thunder. And number 10, De'Aaron Fox of the Sacramento Kings. So for my list, number 10, Mike Conley of the Utah Jazz. Number nine, Dennis Schroeder of the Los Angeles Lakers. Number eight, De'Aaron Fox of the Sacramento Kings. Number seven, John Morant of the Memphis Grizzlies. Number six, Chris Paul of the Phoenix Suns. Number five, Russell Westbrook of the Houston Rockets. Number four, Jamal Murray of the Denver Nuggets. Number three, Luka Doncic of the, of the Dallas Mavericks. Number two, Damian Lillard of the Portland Trailblazers. And number one, Steph Curry of the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> yes, sir. So I guess a great place to start in terms of where our lists kind of collide is the first four, we were on pretty smooth sailing. And then we hit a speed bump at number five. Ironically enough, the two guys who were traded for each other once upon a time, Chris Paul to Oklahoma City in exchange for Russell Westbrook to the Houston Rockets, which is brewed part of the issues that are taking place in Houston as we speak. You have Russell Westbrook as a top five point guard in the Western Conference above Chris Paul at number five. My question to you is, why do you believe not only that Russell Westbrook is a top five guard in the Western Conference, but specifically that he is a better point guard than Chris Paul, who arguably, considering the circumstances of the Oklahoma City Thunder entering last season, you could argue that Chris Paul had a more impactful season than Russell Westbrook. Let's not get it wrong. I think both of, um, I think both Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook are two of the best point guards in the league. Um, I, I like both of their, their styles of play. Russell Westbrook is a guy who wants the ball in his hands. Chris Paul is a guy who likes to get it to his teammates. That's why he averages under seven assists a game. The fact of the matter is I like bucket getters. Mm-hmm. Russell Westbrook is a guy who averaged 27 points a game. And I know he does not shoot efficiently, especially from three. But I just I think here at the Hoop Talk podcast, you and I you and I say it all the time, we like bucket getters. Agreed. Chris, Chris Paul is a phenomenal player. I think he's been able to expand his game since entering the league, and I think that he's been able to adapt to the times because of what he's been able to do with Oklahoma City, being able to turn a non playoff team into a perennial playoff team. That should not be ignored. But I think what Russell Westbrook has been able to do throughout his career 
and being able to move past the first round, even though it was with James Harden, I think that should definitely be considered. And Russell Westbrook is, is a slightly better player than Chris Paul. I mean, I think all the points that you make are really valid in terms of his overall prowess when we're talking about a guy who can average a triple-double three seasons in a row. We're talking about a guy who even playing alongside James Harden, of all people, who was top three in usage rate this past season. He still, he still averaged 27, 8, and 7. Like, I mean, it is definitely ridiculous and it's hard to argue against because this is a guy who arguably gives a top 10 point guard in the entire league. So having him in the top five is not completely far-fetched. My thing about it is with Chris Paul, I'm starting to see maybe it's just the, um, the one season standout for me with OKC. But we talked about it all year. The expectations for Oklahoma City, for the Oklahoma City Thunder was we expected them to try to move on from Chris Paul as soon as possible. They were going to yard sale guys like Steven Adams, Danilo Gallinari, pretty much everything they've already just done this past offseason. We expected them to do it a year earlier, and they elected not to do that. And on the back of a guy like Chris Paul, along with guys like Dennis Schroeder and Shea Gilgis Alexander, even um, other players such as Danilo Gallinari, Stephen Adams, Darius Baisley, Lugans Dort, the list goes on and on. They were able to not only just overachieve the 0.02% chance of making the playoffs that they were given, but on top of that, they were able to be a top four seed in the Western Conference. I think there has to be something. There has to be some kind of credit given to a guy who impacts the winning culture of a franchise over his own athletic or physical talents and abilities because Russell Westbrook can average a triple-double in his sleep. But he's a guy who couldn't get out of the first round after, um, out of, for the Oklahoma City Thunder after Kevin Durant departed. All you did, essentially, I mean, there were a lot of adjustments here and there with the fact that Shea Gillis-Alexander and Danilo Gallinari were dropped into this team. But otherwise, this team was relatively the same and all you did was really drop in Chris Paul. Now, you could argue Dennis Schroeder also significantly helped in that department as well. But for the most part, you're talking about a team that dropped in one guy specifically, and they made the playoffs for the first time since Kevin, Depart- Kevin Durant's departure. So maybe I put a lot more value into the winning aspect of what Chris Paul brings to the table. But it's hard to go against a, a, a former MVP, like you said beforehand. What is it that you think Russell Westbrook can do to shoot himself back up into that top three area the way we've seen him in past years where he was arguably one of the better guards in the league? I think he's already a very good leader, but I also think that he can improve not only in terms of leadership, but also in terms of shooting efficiently. Um, Russell Westbrook has not been – he's not been the most efficient three-point shooter. I think he only averaged 25% from three last season. And I know that, you know, everybody focuses on how many points he scores a game, but it's also about how efficient he is from the floor. And I think that that's one of the things that he's been struggling with, especially last season when he was only averaging, like I said earlier, 25% from three. I think the thing that Chris Paul has over Russell Westbrook, like you were saying, is the team impact. He likes to win for the team. I think he, he I think he's much more of a team player than Russell Westbrook is. Um, and I mentioned earlier that Russell Westbrook likes the ball in his hand. He likes to have the ball when it matters most. And I don't disagree with that, but I think that in terms of 
you know, trying to win as a team instead of playing selfishly, I think that Russell Westbrook lacks in that category. And that's, and that's something that Chris Paul has an advantage of. Yeah, I think it's definitely one of those things where you could flip-flop them. And I don't think it would necessarily be a bad argument either way. These guys were traded for each other. Their careers are somewhat similar in terms of their impact on the game. In one way, there's the old guard of Chris Paul who's continuing a new wave, uh, continuing an old uh, an old guard of the facilitating point guard, while a guy in Russell Westbrook embodies a lot of the new wave hyper-athletic point guards that can seem to kind of do a lot of the uh, – a lot of the things positionally that point guards once upon a time could not do. Um, I think that's a really interesting transition into our next guy, who's actually our next person on the list, John Morant of the Memphis Grizzlies, because I would argue that he's a really interesting mixture of both of these guys. He's a guy who would definitely can jump out the gym, a la that what could have been the greatest dunk in history in terms of in-game dunks over Kevin Love that unfortunately wasn't able to go down. But he's also a guy who... I mean, he averaged over seven assists last season. Rookie year, rookie of the um, rookie of the year um, award winner, averaged nearly 18 points per game, four rebounds, 7.3 assists per game. This is a guy who came out the gate, I mean, on fire. And this was a Memphis team that we thought moving away from the grit and grind era of the Mark Gasols, the Mike Conleys, the Zach Randolphs of the world. Um, we thought that this was going to be a team that was going to have to really you know, climb out of the trenches before before they became a, you know, perennial playoff team again. And if it weren't for the Trailblazers going on the craziest bubble run of all time led by Damian Lillard, who's in our top three, he's the second player on this list. I mean, we're talking about a team that could have made the playoffs in the very first season of a guy like John Morant stepping in out of, you know, I mean, we're talking about a guy who did not come from a prominent college in terms of basketball powerhouses. And he stepped onto an NBA floor and showed that he belonged. My question to you is, with everything that I just said, Ryan, are we being too hyperbolic? Are we gassing up John Morant too soon? Is this a guy that we are giving the keys to the Western Conference point guard castle a year or two too early? I don't think so. Um, I think that he he's outlived and outplayed the hype. I think that he he's turning out to be one of the greatest second overall picks of all time, and we've only got and we've only seen one year of basketball out of him. And I think that the fact that he's averaged 18 points and seven assists, and he shot 48 percent from the field, I think that those are amazing numbers for somebody who. Who's it's it's their first season of the league for somebody who's it's for some for someone who's playing in the league for the first time. So I think that there there's so much potential there, and I think that the only thing that he he really needs to improve on is his three point shot. Um, just considering that you know he shot thirty three percent from three last season, and I, I think that's that's really it. There's there's not much to there's not really there's not a lot of flaws to John Morant's game, and he's an explosive point guard, and I think him and Zion Williamson are the future of the league. Um, in terms of how he'll fit in, how he fits in with the Memphis Grizzlies, I think that he has a chance to lead them to the playoffs again 
this year. I think he has a chance to lead them to the playoffs this year. Um, unfortunately, it was just a one-game playoff with the Blazers that, unfortunately, the, the Grizzlies couldn't uh, live up to or, or, should I say, perform or win the game. But um, I think John Morant really has a chance to not only make the playoffs next year, but I think he can turn Memphis into a perennial playoff team, much like the, the grit and grind goes much like the grit and grind Grizzlies. Yeah, man, this is a guy who, I mean, he's literally turned me into the biggest Memphis Grizzlies fan ever. I literally have a heritage banner above my desk now of all the old Memphis Grizzlies logos, just out of the fact that this is a guy who's really made me a believer. They've picked up a lot of guys that I really enjoy their style of play. Brandon Clark, Dylan Brooks is growing on me. Justice Winslow was a guy who they picked up from the Miami Heat, who I cannot wait to see in a Memphis Grizzlies jersey this upcoming year coming off of that um, injury that put him out for most of the season and may have unfortunately led to him being traded. Um, this is a team that has a lot of promise, and John Morant is the engine that makes this team go. I think when I said that he's an interesting mixture between Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook, I almost think I didn't give him enough credit because of the fact that he doesn't rely on his athleticism the way a guy like Russell Westbrook does because you can see that he's developed a mid-range game. You can see that he's become very open to taking that three-point shot despite the fact that, as you said beforehand, he's a guy who definitely needs to improve as a shooter. There's some scary backcourts out there and not being able to stretch the floor at the point guard position is, you know, it's, it's, pretty, it's, pretty, it's a pretty significant skill to need to have in this day and age. But I also think that his ability to facilitate, it doesn't just, it's not just a leadership aspect of, oh, I like to get other guys involved. It's where you get them at, in their spots. It's getting them in good pockets. It's pushing the pace. It's helping the team play within a functional offense that isn't kind of just sporadically throwing talent out on the floor. So I think arguably that John Morant is a guy who could skyrocket up this list, kind of like our guy Luka Doncic, who's going into his third season, has already reached heights that most rookies can't speak on, which is the dude is third on our list. And John Morant, I believe, might be a guy who's not going to be too much further behind if he continues to improve. And I mean, like you said before, we've only seen one season of him, so he's got a lot of room to grow into. And I think that with a guy like John Morant, it's only with, with John Morant only being in his first season, there's so much potential there. And I think that Memphis can grow as a team with John Morant as to face the franchise. And I think that, you know, with the team around him, with the supporting cast around him, with guys like Dylan Brooks and Jaron Jackson Jr., I think there's a chance that Memphis can climb the ranks of the Western Conference and be a Western Conference finals contender. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a team that we're going to have to really keep our eyes out on. They're obviously one of the teams in this league that has a very young, young rebuilding roster that similar to kind of how we saw the Atlanta Hawks push for being a team to win now. I don't think that they'll necessarily make moves to acquire older players to push for the playoffs, but I think that they acquire the kind of guys that are made of the right, made of the right stuff to the point that I think they'll be able to make a earlier playoff push than we would anticipate, despite the fact that they're so young. Um, Ryan, transitioning into some of the guys that we have significantly different in terms of this list, I want to start with the very first guy that comes to mind on your list specifically, and that is the homie Dennis Schroeder. Now, you know ex-OKC guys, you know anybody who plays for OKC is automatically good in my book, but 
at the same time, this is a guy who was six man of the year. Um, he was a guy who pretty much wanted to move on from Atlanta, despite the fact that he could have been a two guard running alongside Trey Young, as opposed to being um, a two slash three in certain in certain aspects, playing in a three guard lineup against Shea Gilgis Alexander and Chris Paul, which was one of the more effective lineups in the league, efficiency wise. But what what do you believe for a guy who technically didn't even start on his own team last year? What do you believe is so special about Dennis Schroeder that you're willing to put him in the top 10 in the Western Conference as he moves on to a Lakers team that does desperately need some guard play? I think he's becoming a better player overall. I think what we saw in Oklahoma City was that step that he needed to take from being a sixth man to now regaining the role as the starting point guard as it looks like he will be in Los Angeles. Um, I think Schroeder had one of his best seasons last year with the Thunder. And I think he may, and then becoming a contender for sixth man of the year, I think really put himself back on the map. Um, he averaged 19 points a game. He shot nearly 47% from the field. He shot just over 38% from three. And I think he gives the Lakers depth at point guard. And he also gives them somebody who can run an offense. And I think that the reason why he's on my list is because I think he's going to get a much larger role with Los Angeles. I think that he's going to be able to not only facilitate the ball to guys like LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Montrez Harrell, but, or, and Montrez Harrell, but I think that he's going to be able to shine in some moments, especially considering that he's going to be facing the Clippers on a consistent basis. So I think that Dennis Schroeder has the ability to not only take control of the point guard position, but step up when it matters most. I mean, and to, I mean, to look into it deeper, I do think that him being on a new team that does need the point guard help does help him in terms of being able to assert himself. I think the bigger question is just going to be how much control does he have of the ball this year? One of the biggest things about him playing point guard for the Lakers specifically is that, I mean, a, a conversation that we had off camera is that although LeBron James is listed as a small forward in regular respects, last season he, he dominated the ball as a point guard for the team. And you have to wonder if that's going to be the position that LeBron James slowly starts to transition into, which in turn would also regress a guy like Dennis Schroeder back into a six man of the year kind of role, which for their team is extremely effective because him and Montrezl Harrell coming off the bench would make up for a lot of the scoring deficiencies that the Lakers faced last season, whenever LeBron James went to even go take a sip of water for a second. So I think it would definitely assist him in that. I just really wonder, I, I, and I, I agree with you. I think that his role, whether it increased or the same as how it was on OKC is going to have a lot to do with whether or not he can truly assert himself as a top guard in this conference. Um, you know, it's going to be really one of those things that's really interesting, but, but what specifically about Dennis Schroeder's game do you think makes him an elite top 10 point guard in this division? I think his ability to shoot efficiently from the field. Um, like I said earlier, he shot 47% from the field. He shot 38% from three. I think that his efficiency in shooting from the mid-range or shooting in the mid-range and from three has drastically improved. And I think he had a career year last year. And I think that when he gets the chance in Los Angeles, I think that 
with a larger role, I think he'll be able to flourish. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like you said beforehand, I think the biggest thing is going to be it's going to come down to his role, his effectiveness in his role. I think that even if he is relegated to the six man ro- um, role that he had in um, OKC, I don't necessarily think that hurts his production. This is a guy who who performed relatively well, averaged double digit points. Um, and like you said, shot extremely well from the three point line, which is a big step up for him because he's a guy who plays very well in pick and roll and drives very aggressively. He's a very hard-nosed player. So I think that it's going to be really interesting to see where they pocket him with the fact that LeBron James is a guy who did play a lot of point guard last season. And with the movement of Rondo off the roster going to Atlanta, there's questions as to how much more LeBron James may transition into that point guard position. Another guy who plays the point guard position but is on the extreme low-key end is De'Aaron Fox of the Sacramento Kings. And we have him in two completely different spots, but I don't hate where you have him at. I actually kind of want you to expand more on why you have him as high as you have him above guys like Dennis, who we were speaking so highly of just a second ago, and even a Mike Conley, who we know is well known as one of the most underrated guards, if not players in the league today, coming from Memphis, being one of those guys that never made an all-star team, but definitely could have vouched for it a few seasons with Memphis. And even now with Utah was a guy who is taking a little bit of a lesser role with Donovan Mitchell being the main lead on Utah's team, but he's still a very effective two-way player. So what is it that has you so high on De'Aaron? Because although I had him at 10, I don't think it's necessarily the worst thing in the world to have him between eight and 10, the way you do. I think it's about just showing consistent improvement and he's shown consistent improvement throughout his career. I think he's become a better facilitator. He has better court vision. I think he's also been able to score more, score more at a high level. He averaged 20, he averaged 21 points and under seven assists. And he also shot 48% from the field. Um, He's also one of the fastest point guards in the league. And he's a guy who can push the pace and transition. Um, I think that really benefits a team like the Kings who are a very, who run a very up-tempo offense with De'Aaron Fox at, at the helm. So I think that by showing consistent improvement, I feel like he's putting, he's putting himself on the map, becoming possibly one of the best point guards in the league and also in the conference. I think that if he's able to show constant improvement, maybe he'll get some looks from other teams. Um, but I think he has a chance right now to turn Sanford, or to turn Sacramento into a playoff team for the first time in nearly 15 years. I mean, I think that's definitely going to be a rough one. I think this is a team that definitely needs to figure out what their direction is. They're a team that doesn't seem to have very much of a roadmap for what they want their progressions to be. Um, They also missed out on Harry Giles, who signed with the Trailblazers. Obviously, De'Aaron Fox signed for a very, very expensive yet well-deserved five-year extension. So he's not going to be a guy that's going to be on the books for – um, be on the uh, the books for being a guy to be moved on from for a while. If anything, that shows that they believe in him extremely. There are still guys like Buddy Heald on the team that I think could be extremely beneficial to him having a shooter like that around. Um, I think it's unfortunate. This is why I said that I can't argue with you having him between eight and 10 is because I feel like I have him at 10 
for the same for for the same reasons that I have a guy like Russell Westbrook below Chris Paul, and it's the impact on winning. But it's unfortunate because it's hard to hold the impact of winning on a guy like De'Aaron Fox who plays at the level that he plays at on a team that just doesn't seem to have the kind of direction to be, you know, to, to look like they want to be a proven commodity. And I think that's the most unfortunate thing about him because he's one of those guards in this league that doesn't get discussed as one of the better young players in the league because of the environment that he's in. And I think that, I mean, it blows. It's a big blow overall. It didn't hurt his pockets any, which is really good in, in his respects. But at the same time, I think it's one of those things where as he continues to develop, if the Kings with Vladi Divac step, stepping down can start to make relatively, you know, not groundbreaking moves, but just moves that can start to steer the ship in the right direction. I think this is a team that will start to slowly progress. I don't think they're on the same trajectory as teams like Phoenix or teams like San Antonio or the Pelicans or Memphis, which makes it kind of difficult for me to say that he's going to be a guy that leads them to the playoffs. It's really unfortunate because I think that this guy in the playoffs will be electric in prime time. But at the same time, it's this is one of those that as an individual player, I would say definitely say is elite, and that's why I have him in my top 10. But at the same time, I would have to argue that I his his team situation and his surroundings does truly hurt his overall case in terms of being a guy who's gonna be able to slide up the list. Where do you stand on him being able to actually move on the list considering the way this team is set up? This kind of reminds me of Devin Booker because He's a very good player. He's, enter, he's a guy who's entering his prime. He's one of the most electric players in the league. And I think that he's being held down by a situation that's out of his control. Sacramento is, has not been a very good team for the past 15 years. They haven't been good since Mike Bibby was there, Brad Miller was there, Doug Christie was there, uh, Peja Stoyakovich were there. It's almost like a situation currently with Devin Booker or should I say like with Devin Booker before Phoenix became a really good team because people were at, were pretty much begging Devin Booker to, or people were pretty much asking Devin Booker to leave um, Phoenix because that team was going nowhere directionally. Um, They didn't have a direction much like the Kings now. And many people feared that Devin Booker was wasting his prime in Phoenix. And I feel like the situation is the same right now with De'Aaron Fox, because he's a guy who could be wasting his prime on a team like Sacramento that doesn't have a direction. And they haven't been able to make the playoffs for over 15 years, like I mentioned earlier. And the closest that they were able to make the playoffs was the year that LeBron James didn't make the playoffs with the Los Angeles Lakers in his first year. So I think in terms of where he rises in the list on the list, it depends with how it depends on how the team gets better or if the team gets better. Yeah. I mean, that's the biggest thing. It's just going to come down to his environment. He's a guy that really pops off the page. I think if he was the kind of facilitator that John Wall is, I legitimately could say that he would be John Wall 2.0 down to his Kentucky blue DNA. But I think that this is a guy who I, you know, Lord, I really hope that we don't have similar conversations about him as we did with Devin Booker. Um, I hope that the Kings get the memo 
sooner than the Phoenix Suns did, where they just now have recently started to make things make sense around Devin. Because I think the Kings are going to be put in a position where it's going to be really rough if they don't start making plays soon. And I think picking up Tyrese Halliburton in the draft, I think he was extremely a steal considering this is a guy that we thought could have went as high as six to Atlanta once upon a time when we were doing our early draft predictions. Um, We also thought he was a guy who would have fit in really well with the Pistons had Killian Hayes already been off the board. So I think being able to get another guy to play alongside De'Aaron and be kind of the fire and ice combo of playing with controlled pace versus De'Aaron's erratic yet um, up-tempo speed is going to be something that helps us get a different dynamic of what his overall game is like. So it's going to be really interesting. I think Tyrese Halliburton could really be the first domino to fall. I think what they may do with with a guy in um, Buddy Heald in terms of moving on from him could also be pretty significant. Um, but it's going, to, it's going to come down to just seeing how things play themselves out. Um, moving into our last overall topic for this discussion with the top 10 point guards in the Western Conference, Um, We listed so many guys. There's a lot of guys who we felt like were automatic locks. Like I said, our first four guys were literally the same. Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, Luka Doncic, Jamal Murray. We also both had Mike Conley. We both had De'Aaron. We both had John, Chris. The only part where we kind of actually missed out on was the fact that I had Gashay Gilgis-Alexander and you had his former teammate, Dennis Schroeder, instead. So who is one guy that you do not have on your list who you feel like is an actual honorable mention and could potentially creep up into this list. I'm, I think it's Shea Gilgis Alexander. He's an up and coming guard for the Thunder. He averaged uh, 19 points, six rebounds, and three assists. Um, he's a guy who averaged 47% from the field and shot 30, 35% from three. I think he has the potential to be one of the best point guards in the league. And I feel like being able to play not only point guard but also shooting guard I think helps him to become a more versatile player a a more versatile player yeah I think it's going to be one of those things where the more that he gets time under his belt with the ball in his hands the more dangerous he's going to become and it's going to be one of those things where we're going to see more of him this upcoming season with things being more built around his game as opposed to being a team that still kind of followed the lead of um, the old guard that was that was a part of the regime at the time um, in terms of the play, the the older players that were the driving force, I would say, of the team. So I would definitely say that's a really good guy to bring up off your list. Obviously, I already have him on mine, so you can tell that's how I feel about him. I would say that my guy, um, I, I was in between two guys, actually. I was between DeJounte Murray and Ricky Rubio. Those are the two guys for me because Ricky Rubio was a guy that after he left the Timberwolves, I think he had an extreme wake-up call because I think somebody finally tapped on his shoulder and told him that he had to start shooting the Trey Pound because it was the thing that was hurting him the most when it came to him playing for Minnesota. He was a glorified He was a glorified Rondo, but he was probably like a watered-down Rondo because he wasn't the same kind of guy that Rondo was defensively. So I think that Ricky Rubio is a guy that now that he's developed a three-point shot, he's back in, he's back with the Timberwolves with more talent around him with guys like D'Angelo Russell, Cat still, um, uh, I mean, Malik Beasley, um, obviously the first pick in the draft, and Anthony Edwards. Like, they have a lot of guys to build around. So um, 
I mean, I think that's definitely a guy who stands out. I think with DeJounte Murray, my biggest thing is he was coming off of an injury prior to this season. And it always, with the kind of catastrophic injuries that take you out for an entire year, there's always a question as to how long that timetable is to really get back to being yourself. This was a guy who was, I mean, he was, he was all, all second team defense at one point, and he wasn't even the most effective player on his team. He wasn't even averaging double digits when it took place. This is a guy who, if he can get it right on both sides of the ball, he could potentially be the best, if not a top three, two-way guard in the Western Conference. And that says a lot when you're going to be around company like the Clay Thompsons of the world, who unfortunately we won't be able to see this season. So I think those are two guys that with the right kind of boost, with the right kind of mindset, I think could really play themselves into the top 10. But it's going to have to do a lot with for Ricky, I think it's going to have to do with now taking advantage of the talent around you, similar to what he did in Phoenix, and showing off that three-point shot while also being able to display just how how valuable his facilitation is. And for DeJounte Murray, his defense has always been there, but his offensive repertoire is something we haven't really seen since really ever in terms of the league. But in terms of high school and college, we know that he's a prolific scorer. So... I think seeing him on both sides of the ball is going to be something that's going to be really interesting because we know that he's a dangerous lockdown defender when he gets to it. So transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, who do you believe is the best point guard in the Western Conference? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.